This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Sister Andre was a French nun and the world's oldest person. She lived through two world wars and survived not only COVID-19, but the 1918 influenza pandemic. I mean, you can just imagine her in 2020. Here we go. Here we go again. Unbelievable. But she did die recently uh, on January 17 in France. She was 118 years old. Author and researcher Dan uh, Buechner wondered why some societies have higher than average life, average lifespan, higher than average lifespan. So he decided to travel the world to meet some of the longest lived people on the planet. And I like that phrase, longest lived people, right? Rather than oldest, I don't know. I, I think. Now, I, now rather than aspire to grow up to be an old person, I want to be a, a longest lived person. Well, what he found was that a lot of Western societies are out of the ordinary and out of step with the rest of the world and how we treat the longest lived among us. One place he went to was Sardinia in Italy. Sardinia is the second largest island in the Mediterranean. And he went there to discover why people here live so long. And if you ask me, it might have something to do with the 2,000 kilometers of coastline, <laughs> the sandy beaches, and a mountainous interior that's crossed with hiking trails. Add to that the temperate climate and the sunshine. I mean, I can understand, right, why people there don't want to die. <laughs> They're already in heaven. <laughs> Pretty good deal. Well, when Dan got there, he learned that 
not only do people there tend to live longer, but they have a very high, relatively high population of people who are over 100 years old. A lot of centenarians. And so he attributed this after spending some time there, not to the sunshine or the beaches or the relaxed nature of island life, though that certainly didn't hurt, right? But the high number of Sardinian centenarians, try saying that a few times in a row, right? The high number of Sardinian centenarians is due in large part to the fact that older people, longer lived people enjoy a special place in the community. Dan said, here in Sardinia, the older you got, the more social equity you have, not less. The more wisdom you're celebrated for. This, as it turns out, he says, is not only good for your aging parents to keep them close to the family. Research shows it's also good for the children of those families who have lower rates of mortality and lower rates of disease, what's called the grandmother effect. Well, it turns out Sardinia is not alone in this approach. This reverence for longer-lived people seen across wider Italy as well as across the Mediterranean, where it's common for multiple generations to live under one roof in sort of a mutually beneficial arrangement. Grandparents help cook and care for grandchildren while the adult children go off and work, and in return experience this continued sense of purposefulness and connection. This is also true in many Asian countries. In Japan, old age is considered a uh, socially valuable part of life. They even consider old age to be a time of spring or rebirth. I love that thinking, right? When you turn a certain age, sometimes you think, okay, well, I want to stop celebrating these birthdays, you know, at some point. But to think of what does life still hold for this next phase, How, however long that is? And this is a beautiful uh, sentiment. And an older person there in Japan is referred to as a sen-nin, or wise sage. And similarly, in many Native uh, American cultures, elders are considered the wisdom keepers of the community. Australian writer Pam Morehouse argues that in the non-traditional cultures of the West, we've lost sight of how valuable older folks are. We've got a culture so fixated on work and financial gain that once someone is no longer sort of being productive in the workplace, we imagine their usefulness to the wider community has decreased. And so, what I would say to this is that what a society honors, we've seen societies now that are honoring their elders, what a society honors flourishes, thrives, and adds value to the community. <clears throat> you might be asking, this is interesting stuff, but what does this have to do with the Beatitudes? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> The word that gets repeated in the Beatitudes is blessed. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, etc. And these are usually understood to be Jesus' pronouncement of divine blessing on the groups of people who are embodying the listed characteristics. 
Biblical scholar Casey Hansen uh, notes that we have to understand these words of Jesus and the value orientation of the ancient Mediterranean world in which they were first uttered. And further, we need to recognize the importance of honor and shame as foundational values in ancient Israelite society. So building on the work of uh, another venerable scholar, Bruce Molina, Hansen notes that honor and shame are the values complex in which all other values have to be grounded and understood. The word in the Greek for blessed, there in the original writings of the gospel, is makarioi, and based off of the Hebrew equivalents and in this larger values context, Hansen says it might be better to translate, instead of blessed are, how honorable are. How honorable are. That's a little different take, right? How honorable are the meek or pure at heart or those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I found this, well, I'm getting it on myself. Hansen concludes, I would argue that if the Beatitudes are fundamentally expressions of honor, then Matthew 3 to 10 must be interpreted as programmatic value statements. The conditions and behaviors which the community finds as honorable. That's sort of a different reading, but I find this helpful, and in some ways it makes a little bit more sense than trying to mark out conditions of poverty and mourning to be conditions that are blessed. For example, when you're struggling to pay the bills, it seems little consolation that God considers you blessed. Right? Great, but I still have to pay the electric or the power's going to be shut off. Or I have to pay the rent or I'll be out on the street. But at least I'm blessed. <laughs> but if instead it meant in our society we hold special value for folks who are in certain situations, it means, as we noted with the opening about valuing long-lived people, it provides the grounds for their flourishing because we value them, we see them, we pay attention and step in. And so I found this helpful and you can take it or leave it, but I found it helpful so I'm going to share it. <laughs> and if we take this reading and add to it a more modern translation of the Beatitudes, we might come up with something that sounds a bit like this. How honorable are the poor and the oppressed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How honorable are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How honorable are the nonviolent, for they will inherit the earth. How honorable are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. How honorable are the compassionate, for they will receive compassion. How honorable are the contemplative in nature, for they will see God. How honorable are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. How honorable are those who are persecuted for justice's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For me, this helps open up this text, this perhaps overly familiar text, in a new way. And so we've noted that this is to be read in the values context of honor and shame, but so far in this text, at least, we only have the honor part of that mention. 
Well, there's an interesting corresponding text near the end of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Matthew. Here we have in chapter 5 his opening sermon, so to speak. But in chapter 23, there's a closing sermon or closing address of sorts. In Matthew 5, he's addressing his disciples. In Matthew 23, he's addressing some of his opponents. And there the text begins, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven. And so we could read this as, How shameful of you! to block people from the kingdom of heaven. And if you look at the two texts sort of side by side, it's really interesting because there's a correspondence, a sort of inverse to many of the Beatitudes. So instead of saying yours is the kingdom of heaven, you are blocking the kingdom of heaven. Instead of hunger and thirsting for righteousness, Jesus says you outwardly appear righteous. Instead of blessed are the merciful, it is woe to you who neglect mercy. How shameful. Instead of blessed are the pure in heart, it is woe to you who are impure. Instead of calling them children of God, Jesus calls them sons of Gehenna or sons of hell. And instead of being compared to the prophets who were killed, they are called sons of those who killed the prophets. Super fascinating to see these lined up and connected and sort of bracketing Jesus' teaching ministry. And so we have a bookend, really, of Jesus giving what we traditionally will call blessings and woes, but perhaps can read with even more insight, considering them as pronouncements of honor and shame. And so as I was thinking about the text this week and this idea of how what we as a society honor flourishes. I heard this story on NPR, and maybe some of you heard this one as well. And the story comes on, the reporter is Layla Fottle. She says, this next story takes a new look at how Americans for more than a decade have been dying younger than people in other developed countries. We want to warn you, she says, this report will discuss suicide. Researchers have attributed the higher death rates in the U.S. to what they call deaths of despair. Drug overdoses, suicide, alcoholic liver disease. She says NPR's Ritu Chatterjee has more. And Chatterjee says back in 2015, two Princeton economists published a study showing that deaths among middle-aged white Americans had risen dramatically between 1999 and 2013. So about a 14-year period, those deaths rose dramatically. But notice what was named in there. Deaths among middle-aged white Americans. So we're discussing here premature mortality. The story then brings in uh, Dr. Joseph Friedman, a physician and researcher at UCLA, and Friedman says, it's an age group where ideally no one should die in that age group, at least certainly not from drug overdose and by suicide. Chatterjee says, but when he and his colleagues took a closer look at the data, they realized that these deaths of despair weren't just impacting white communities. Friedman says the whole sort of premise of the deaths of despair idea that this is unique to white communities that didn't really stand up when you took a closer look at the data. 
Chatterjee says, he and his colleagues found that the rise in midlife deaths was much higher, actually, in American Indian and Native, Alaska Native people, but that that group had been left entirely out of the study. Friedman says, in the same period that deaths among white Americans did go up by about 9%, certainly not good, such deaths among Native Americans went up by 30%. Chatterjee says, Friedman's collaborator, Joseph Gaughan, is a psychologist at Harvard. He's also a member of the Annie Grossventre, pardon on the pronunciation, tribal nation of Montana. And Joseph Gaughan then comes into the story and he says, this entire narrative about deaths of despair among white Americans depended on the invisibility, or we might say the erasure of indigenous presence and visibility in those data sets. And he says, and that's a problem. And I think we would all agree. He goes on to say, the recent rise in deaths among white Americans is, of course, alarming, but the factors driving these deaths have affected American Indian and Alaska Native peoples for much longer. But of course it becomes a story when it impacts the white community. And so that was the story that I heard this week that just struck me in this context of, of reading uh, and studying the Beatitudes. And Jesus has shown that in God's kingdom, ideally, we are to honor those who are on the margins those who are poor, oppressed, suffering, mourning, striving to make things right. And when we honor or center them, they have a chance at flourishing because they're seen, not invisible, because they're valued, because they're cared for and walked alongside. And what struck me about this uh, story I heard on NPR was not... Um, with not only right the sense of not honoring the Native American and Alaska Native populations, but just not seeing them at all. It just <clears throat> felt awful. The sheer impossibility. Not only were they not honored, they weren't even seen, and the result, an incredibly high rate of deaths of despair. Let me know the historical realities behind that go back a long ways. And so you can almost hear Jesus saying, woe to you when you shut out the vulnerable. Shame on you. Woe to you when you are blind to and even erase the indigenous presence among you. How shameful. Woe to you when you outwardly appear righteous by waving the flag and talking about freedom and human rights while neglecting mercy and stomping on those who are already struggling. How shameful. Well, back to where we began with honoring our elders. In many African countries, instead of being neglected or made invisible, elders are served first at mealtimes and often serve and act as judges in the community. In fact, there's an old African proverb that says, a village without the elderly is like a well without water. Isn't that cool? <clears throat> That's powerful. And imagine a well without water 
in a village and the impact that that would have. Right? We would be a blank creek if we didn't have a working well. And they're saying, that's how valuable the elders in our community are to us. Wow. So what would happen if we extended that spirit of learning and honor to the kinds of folks Jesus listed in the Beatitudes, right? You have to imagine it would be a societal transformation. Pam Morehouse invites us to look ahead to our own later years. And she says, when we find ourselves walking into the sunset of our own lives, it's unlikely to be the stacks of money we made or the career successes that matter. What will matter is how we spent time side by side with other humans. Learning from each other about what it means to be human in this ever-unfolding world. Both as a young person learning from their elders and as an elder passing on their years of knowledge. In the words of Dr. Suzuki, I believe elders with the power of youth and youth with the power and the knowledge of the elders will be an unstoppable force. It's time, says Morehouse, to reshape the way we interact with our elders and see how precious they really are. <clears throat> the bottom line is this, friends. What we honor flourishes. What we honor flourishes. What we ignore or stand in the way of suffers. Blessed and honorable are the peacemakers. Blessed and honorable are those who hunger and thirst for justice and those who prioritize and care for the most vulnerable for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. Maybe so. invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.